Firstly, a company wants access to former CEOs. This often comes into play when you have a CEO founder or a CEO who is linked with a company's brand, something like that. Access to the CEO is very important. Welcome to the Executive Compensation Podcast. On this show, we discuss all aspects of executive compensation. Whether you're a compensation committee member, a seasoned compensation professional, or just curious to learn more about executive compensation, this show is the answer. Each episode brings you a focused and actionable interview on specific topics of executive compensation. This episode is brought to you by Meridian Compensation Partners. Meridian works with compensation committees to ensure the most effective processes are in place to go beyond mere compliance with governance requirements and create healthy, dynamic relationships between the board, management, and its advisors. Meridian helps boards use compensation to attract and retain critical talent and to make informed business decisions that will link pay and performance, drive business results, increase shareholder value, and mitigate potential risks. Learn more at meridiancp.com. Welcome to the Executive Compensation Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Harvey. On this episode, I'm joined by Jim Heim and Dean Chaffee. Jim is a partner working out of Meridian's Boston office, and Dean is a lead consultant also working out of Boston. Jim, Dean, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. So today our topic is CEO succession, but we're going to specifically focus on considerations for an incumbent CEO. When boards address CEO succession, often they spend much of their focus identifying and developing the successor to the CEO, but they spend much less energy on the transition of the existing CEO out of the role. So addressing compensation considerations, timelines, and even potentially an interim transitional role for the outgoing CEO can be very critical elements to a successful CEO succession. And I want to spend more time on these topics today. So Dean, let's start with a very basic question. This is an executive compensation podcast. So what exactly does that have to do with CEO succession? Isn't succession more of a governance topic? Yeah, I think this is a great question. And I think in reality, these two things are very closely linked. I think that strong compensation programs support and result in successful CEO transitions. And compensation plays a role throughout the whole process from before the CEO leaves and also after compensation continues to play an impactful role. So if you think about what's happening before, a company wants their CEO to be thinking about the long-term value of the business up until the last day they're in office. So compensation can help incent the right type of thinking to achieve that objective. For example, continued equity vesting upon transition. That is the type of thing that we see incent the right thinking and behaviors before a CEO exits. Also, note a mandatory notice period. That's something that would come into play before the CEO leaves. That's something that I would call a compensation policy using kind of a broad definition there. But compensation plays a role before and after. If you think about what's happening after, a few things come to mind. Firstly, a company wants access to former CEOs. This often comes into play in a more strong sense when you have a CEO founder or a CEO who is linked with a company's brand, something like that. Access to the CEO is very important. Compensation can help promote that access and foster a different type of relationship after CEO leaves. And then the other thing I would mention is restrictive covenants. I would describe those as compensation policies. Those will incent appropriate, the best behaviors after CEO leaves as well. So a little bit of a long answer there, but I would say that compensation 
really impacts the entire process from beginning to end. And I think they're mostly blanks. That makes sense. And in my experience, it's something that the entire board is working on. Obviously, the compensation committee is focused on one very important part of it, but it is something every committee and, of course, the full board is also very concerned with. Jim, let's talk a little bit about some of the roles that a CEO might transition to, because I think we wanted to spend some time on that particular element. What are some of those roles that you might want to consider as a post-CEO transition for an incumbent? Yeah, sure. I think it's probably boils down to maybe four broad categories. And one of those roles, frankly, is just hanging out at the beach. It's retirement. It's an orderly retirement. Hopefully it's something that's planned for ahead of time. It's a smooth transition, but there's no ongoing service or relationship with the company once you exit. The next one that I'm seeing quite a bit more of lately is the idea that I moved from the CEO role, but I remain an employee in an executive chair role. And my remit changes a little bit. I'm starting to get more involved with governance and the board oversight, less involved with operational situations, but I am there and I am very active usually for a relatively short period and short can be anywhere from six months to two years. Sometimes a company might want that as part of their ongoing leadership and governance model. After that, you'll often see advisory relationships. So the case here is it's less a case of very active involvement. It's more of a role where the company still wants access to your experience and expertise. And Creating an advisory relationship provides a mechanism to compensate for the fact that we are hoping that you're on call. Usually, we're hoping that you are available for periodic meetings. It's not the case where you are on call, but we're never going to actually take advantage of that. It's certainly less intensive than the chairman role, but there's still some actual work to be done. And then the final one that I think is worth talking about is just becoming a non-employee director. And there's a few hiccups involved there. You can imagine there's many companies that would like to have the outgoing CEO continue to be involved in our typical board role, being the steward of the company, fostering good governance, having some industry knowledge. There are a few challenges there in that per listing standards, you usually are not able to serve on some of the committees, especially audit and compensation, but that has a window that expires over time. And as we all know, there's certainly a board service that goes beyond what's happened in the committee meetings. It seems like when I think about over the last couple of decades, many years ago, very often these transitional roles just used as an opportunity to get some additional value in the hands of the CEO, more from a pay perspective, smooth the transition. It feels like I'm seeing much less of that these days, that when CEOs move into these roles, these are actual real roles that the board has determined they need the services of the CEO. Is that something you're seeing more and more of also, Jim? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean, the old school way of thought here was every year we're giving you a salary, we're giving you a bonus, we're giving you an LTI award. And maybe in a particular year, we're giving you $5 million in LTI. And yeah, that's going to best over time. But there was often a sentiment amongst board members and sometimes amongst the executives themselves along the line of, well, I really want to get that $5 million even if my service and my employment experience is ending with the company. So what would you do? Let's be honest. There was often a workaround here where sometimes we set up an advisory relationship that allows you to continue to vest in that award and you're on call, but you're not likely to be called. 
I definitely think one of the things that has the importance of has grown over the last decade is just the idea of smooth successions. They often do require some involvement from the person who is leaving and just a lot of focus on recognizing there is significant risk if there is just a very abrupt transition. I think boards have gotten better about this. It's just a matter of governance hygiene, just the idea of let's plan ahead, let's execute over time. Things seem to work out better when we go that route. Therefore, there's actually going to be an expectation of a little bit more activity from those advisors or consultants who are former CEOs. Why don't we dive in a little bit on each of these and talk a little bit more about some of the considerations and things that comp committees and boards should be aware of. Maybe, Dean, why don't we start with the executive chair role? What considerations we should be thinking about? Sure. So I'll talk a little bit about compensation, magnitude, and structure here. The first thing I'll say is this is a unique role. There aren't too many of these on any given year happening or in place. So we're not going to find very robust survey data, for example, published annually on how much an exec chair is being paid because these are typically unique situations. And the compensation that is determined to be given is really determined on a case-by-case basis. So the first thing I'll say is it's generally a unique thing by its nature. But that being said, there are a few rules of thumb that we've seen in the market with respect to how much one of these folks would be getting paid and also how they would be getting compensated in what form. So taking them one by one, starting with salary, you'll see typically a reduction in salary when a CEO transitions to one of these roles. And there's two main reasons for that. Firstly, it signals to the market and employees, so it signals externally and internally who is really running the company. It's more for shareholders to know that and it's more for employees to know that. So the first thing is it's a signal. The second thing I would say is it's just a smaller role. Like typically the remit will decrease the compensation will decrease with the remit. So salary, you'll see a reduction rule of thumb there. I would say 60 to 80% of what the individual would pay before might be seen on transition. In terms of target bonus, the amount given in the form of a target bonus will depend on how long the individual would be in the role. If let's say somebody is going to be an executive chair for less than six months, you might just see their target bonus that was in place before, just the in-flight target bonus continue to be measured over that period. If it's longer than six months, you might see a new target bonus in place, again, at a reduced rate. I would say rule of thumb, 50 to 80% of what they're making before might be seen in the new role. LTI is a little bit different because LTI, again, will determine on scope and also the uniqueness or the individual's needs in the situation, in the role and in their history with the company. So if it's a short-term engagement, similar to the target bonus, you'll see perhaps continued vesting of the long-term incentives. If new incentives are going to be put in place, they would be viewed through a new lens. You might see performance metrics change, for example, to reflect the new remit and the new goals in the new role. So overall, I would say generally you'll see a reduction. Typically, compensation is measured relative to the CEO. So you'll often see it expressed as a percent of CEO. So typically you'll see a reduction. It's usually thought of as a percent of CEO. And in terms of the incentives, those are really tailored to the individual and the particular situation happening at the company. Do you generally see them participating in all the same elements? So are they obviously getting a salary, but also bonus and LTI, but it maybe is tweaked a bit or is there a particular element that generally goes away? That's a great question. This is something that Jim and I have actually looked at 
somewhat recently together in our work together. I would say LTI is less prevalent in terms of participation than the others. We've seen that in the market and it's really indicative of what's required in the new role. So if you're going to be in a new role for a year, receiving new LT- long-term incentive grants may not make the most sense. You're not going to be in that role for long enough to see long-term goals come to fruition, for example. And usually, I would say cash-based compensation is more prevalent in this situation. So Jim, what about all the other roles? You mentioned, I think, two or three other different kind of paths that you can head down. What are some of the considerations that we need to think about there? Honestly, the executive share was probably the most complicated. As Dean said, there's just such a wide variety of remit there and time periods, et cetera, that things can get relatively complicated. But step one in any of these transition situations is to really try to articulate and document what you're going to be asking the person to do. I would say in the advisory relationship, one of the key issues is how long do we want you around? It's good to actually have an end date that you're looking at in these agreements. Now, they'll usually be structured something like a monthly stipend, similar to salary, usually probably significantly reduced. Maybe it'll be 50 to 75% of that salary. And then usually you're continuing to vest in the prior equity awards. That's it. That's what you're doing with compensation. It is probably... As we talked about a little earlier, Ryan, just the idea of maybe a little more meat on the bones as you're talking with the board about what exactly would we expect you to be doing and available for. I'm seeing a little bit more pen to paper than might have been the case 10 or even five years ago on those items. The retirement issue, this is really a case of making sure you document what do you have available right now? What did the contracts actually say? We've talked a lot about the importance of annual tally sheet reviews. This is probably one of the important ones because sometimes you'll get surprises in terms of what might be intended versus what is actually in the contracts. And I don't think you want to find yourself having to change those agreements in the actual year of retirement. Things can get messy pretty quickly. Non-employee director compensation, that's usually a smooth transition. You have an employee director compensation program in place. You would expect that you simply roll your former CEO into that new program. One aspect that is a little bit nuanced is what happens to a prior equity awards. And I think we're going to talk about just equity situations in a little bit more detail in a moment. But I think every cop committee member realizes, oh my gosh, if we think about the different elements of pay, It seems equity awards are always the ones that have some nuance and some complexity. Yeah, and I do want to dive into the equity and some of those pre-transition considerations here in a second. But maybe before we go there, a follow-up. So with all of these transitional roles, you've walked through various typical compensation structures. Any specific areas where we need to be cautious from an external standpoint where either proxy advisors or institutional investors may react negatively? Oh, yeah. To a particular structure. Yeah, absolutely. One of the things that has become a little bit more visible and is under a little bit more scrutiny recently is just the idea of modifying in-flight awards when a CEO is departing for either a retirement or voluntary resignation. The basic concept here is if it is not the without cause termination, the proxy advisors and The institutional investors are not going to be happy to see that you adjusted the terms at that time to make them more favorable. Now, earlier we were saying it is common to have continued vesting. 
it is common to continue to invest or sometimes accelerate vesting in those outstanding awards. How do we square those two different ideas? It's not a modification if you plan ahead and you've already built into your agreements and grant agreements specifically the idea that we expect these two to continue to vest once your service as an employee has ended. There are a number of companies right now that are also thinking along the lines, especially with our executives, how are we going to define service? It's possible to have the equity awards actually speak to service as an employee or director or consultant. If you've got that already built into the award structure, it makes these transitions a heck of a lot easier. The other thing to know is if you make instead a modification to an in-flight award, you've now got some incremental accounting expense because you have made a modification. You're going to have to basically reverse expense recognized to date and then take fair value of that award as of today. That almost always implies that there's going to be additional value. And on top of that, when we think about our summary comp table, this is where it gets really fun. If you have someone departing in 2023, and you have modified awards from 2020, 21, 22, the impact of that modification is going to show up in that summary comp tape. And you're going to have a situation where your outgoing CEO is going to appear to have enormous compensation. So the visibility there, that's not a great story. And all of these are things that can be anticipated, planned for, hopefully prevented or mitigated, just for that sort of hygiene we were talking about earlier. Do the tally sheets. What we have planned is in line with our intentions. What is the accounting bit? What is the disclosure implications of some of these items? No, that makes sense. One thing I've had personal experience a few times with clients is poor definition of what's a retirement versus what is an involuntary termination, or in many cases, no definition of retirement. In a kind of a worst case scenario, what it can lead to is a CEO that's basically only going to leave if you pay them out as if they've been terminated because they want to get their severance. So I think that's another thing I've seen well in advance. And this is really not something you can do a couple months before retirement, but many years before, define what a retirement is and define what an involuntary term is and make sure that those two things don't overlap. So if you want the retirement treatment, if you want beneficial treatment on the equity, pull the trigger for retirement. You can't also be waiting around and saying, I want to get paid cash severance as part of my retirement package. This is one of the things that's always interesting about compensation discussions. It's incentives work and people will be doing their own calculation and understanding what is mostly advantageous for me from a compensation perspective. I've been lucky in that I haven't necessarily had a lot of situations where it almost sounds like a, an executive holding the company hostage on the way out. What I have had is uh, conversations along the lines of taking a closer look at this. It looks like there's inequities versus different types of departures. How do we fix this? Which is a heck of a lot easier conversation to deal with than a case where you've already reached the point where there's tension between the board and the outgoing CEO. Very helpful. Yep. We've covered, I think, a lot of the key topics. Any key considerations, pitfalls, things that either Dean or Jim that you wanted to touch on these roles? Right. So much of this is really having the discussion about what do we want this person to be doing in the future? There are absolutely some situations where that time of CEO transition, it's clear there's a change mandate. 
the best signal to investors might be that old CEO is out of the picture, period. And that's a different type of transition to talk about. Most of what we've been talking about is situations where it's expected that outgoing executive does have ongoing value to the company that's recognized by both the board, by the investors, probably by the rest of the executive team. One of the things that we talked about is just the idea of the timing of that transition from executive chair onto something else. When do you actually leave the stage? And just the idea of how that works with a new CEO. I think you probably got some color to add on that one. Yeah, I would say to sum up what we've been talking about, plan ahead is probably the most important piece of advice that a company could take because that impacts the outgoing CEO. It impacts how effective the board is. It impacts how employees respond. It impacts who the new CEO is, how much time is put into recruitment and making sure that the right candidate is found. And it can impact some of the agreements in place with the CEO when they've left the company too. So I would just say plan ahead. In terms of timing, I don't know if there's a perfect time to do this. I think there's going to be challenges no matter when you do it. But I think that the key from my perspective is just how much notice you have. With more notice, the timing gets easier no matter where we are in the calendar year. Thinking about do we want an executive chair for six months, for a year, for two years? As you can imagine, if you have a relatively junior CEO coming in, sometimes it's nice to have a little bit of a longer ramp. Along with that has to come the expectation that the need for coaching, the need for introductions to investors, to customers, that diminishes over time. That usually means that compensation should diminish over time as well. I think you ask anyone who's coming in new to a chief executive role, they certainly don't want to have the perception that there's someone looking over their shoulder in perpetuity. I agree with that. Planning, of course, planning ahead is always wise counsel, but I think this is particularly an area where advanced planning makes a lot of sense. And I think we could all point to examples where there wasn't sufficient planning in a succession situation, and it just forces the board and the committee to make decisions that maybe they wouldn't make otherwise, or it limits the decisions that are available. So this has been a very important topic as we often talk about managing the succession of the CEO and of course, selection of the new CEO are some of the most important things that we'll ever be tasked with. Important topic and really appreciate Jim and Dean, you guys joining us today. Of course. Thank you. Good to talk. Thanks. Thank you for listening. And we hope you enjoyed this episode of the Executive Compensation Podcast. You can see more about this episode along with additional executive compensation insights at meridiancp.com. That's Meridian, the letter C, and the letter P, dot com. This episode is brought to you by Meridian Compensation Partners. Meridian works with compensation committees to ensure the most effective processes are in place to go beyond mere compliance with governance requirements and create healthy, dynamic relationships between the board, management, and its advisors. Meridian helps boards use compensation to attract and retain critical talent and to make informed business decisions that will link pay and performance, drive business results, increase shareholder value, and mitigate potential risks. Learn more at meridiancp.com.